Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 320 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. I am coming to you remotely because the Atlanta Braves, for the first time since 1999, are headed to the World Series. I wasn't supposed to be here. I got yelled at by everybody for not being here, and I'm happy to be here with both Eric Cole and Scott Coleman, who will carry this podcast. But at the top, we're celebrating, fellas. Hello. Here we go. I... I'm an emotional wreck. I apologize in advance to our listeners. I was really excited. I'm pretty sure I woke up everyone in my house. Uh, an unbelievable game, an unbelievable series. It just, it, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around right now. I mean, we're only, what, 20, 25 minutes removed from the end of the game, and I'm going to remember this for a long, long time, to be sure. Yeah, they uh, they killed the narrative, and I'm I think it's fitting that there was all this talk that it's the same old Braves and it was going to happen again and they were going to choke this one away. And what did they do? They came out tonight. They slammed the door. They ended that narrative talk once and for all. Uh, and here we go, boys. We've been doing a whole lot of these podcasts over the years. Uh, I think it's fitting that, you know, we started doing these really in the middle of the Braves' rebuild during some dark times for this franchise when they were routinely losing 90 plus games every single year and and I here we are remember, yeah I distinctly yeah. I distinctly remember talking about how few home runs the Braves hit uh historically bad uh yeah yeah what wow. a I mean it's it really is amazing and what a run it's been and, and there's just so many things to talk about and incredible storylines that have emerged over the last shoot three and a half hours and, and over the last month but uh very glad to be here with you boys to do this one tonight yeah, I'm going to get out of the way eventually and let you guys cook because I'm not on a computer and you guys have stuff in front of me and I don't have notes, but I was uh, dialed in. And you mentioned, uh, I think Scott mentioned it, like the, the they killed the narrative. And honestly, there was there was that moment that usually things go wrong in this game when Luke Jackson is kind of blowing up and there's two guys on and it's like, all right, this is good. this is the disaster scenario. Everybody's tight. Uh, Tyler Matzik, who I'm sure you guys will talk about later, uh, was unbelievable. And then. I will say, uh, in very, very fitting fashion, the game was closed out by William Michael Smith <laughs> at the end of the contest. And, uh, that was funny. He was good. And yeah, that was, it was amazing. I mean, the fact that they, you know, they faded all that, the heroics, Eddie Rosario is from another planet at this point. Uh, I don't even know what to say about him. You guys will get into all of that, but, uh, I had to make an appearance, I had to talk to you guys about it. Just to say that uh, it's time to prepare, obviously. World Series stuff, we'll be back with more of that later. This is a celebration podcast, not a preview podcast. But uh, I know I'm excited. I know you guys are excited. And I really appreciate everybody listening, too. I actually appreciate everybody yelling at me for not being on the podcast and spurring me to do this. So it was good. It, it's only fitting that as the Braves go to the World Series for the first time in 22 years that we have to have our podcast host tonight. It, it wouldn't be the same <laughs> without uh, without the the – Sweet tones of Bradley Rowland's voice hosting. I kind of uh, knew. I kind of knew, man. I swear. I, when I when I realized that, I think it was like a week, like a week ago, maybe a week and a half ago. Now I realized. Look, I looked at the calendar. And I was like, "Ooh, I can't. I can't podcast after Game Six. So they're either going to lose in six, or they're, they're going to win in six. And I knew yeah. it. And uh, they won in six, and that's much better because that means we have more podcasts to come. But uh, I appreciate all of your flexibility as well, fellas. Uh, I'm going to get out of here. Please make fun of me on this episode, uh, if at all possible. Uh, people can tweet at me with whatever Eric comes up with to uh, troll me on this fine evening. I will take it in stride. But uh, enjoy it, everybody else. 
and uh, we'll have more. We'll have more more coming. I promise with all of us. I would never do such a thing to you, Bradley. Go blue. That's a uh, lie. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your travels. Uh, I was thrilled to be able to make sure you, you could get on the podcast. Uh, I am frankly not sure how I would be able to get through an intro. I probably need to be eased into this. So uh, we miss you. Uh, <laughs> you know, be, travel safe. You know, and we'll be talking soon. We'll be doing the preview podcast tomorrow. Where Brad will not be on. Uh, will be more available. I guess is the best way to describe it. Yes. And that we'll get to talk about all of our thoughts about the, the upcoming matchup with the Houston Astros, which is a great thing to be able to talk about. Uh, so thanks again, Brad. Uh, I'll take it from here. So, Scott, let's start here at the top. Will Smith, you know, one of the cleanest innings we've seen out of him all year. <laughs> to close out the game. Yeah, uh, naturally. Uh, with, with, with the notable exception of a really good play, and it's going to get lost in kind of the craziness of this game. That was a really good play by Dansby on the final out. Uh, a really good pick to spin around. Uh, fires at the first. One, two, three inning. That final out is recorded. Like, what were your just kind of top-line initial reactions to the Braves oh. clinching? Uh, yeah, so many thoughts. Um, you know, it was fitting that, this year, for better or worse, we seemingly talked about Will Smith every single week on this very podcast. And to Will's credit, he was absolutely money in this series. And you're right. He came in and faced three hitters who are scorching hot between Chris Taylor, who seemingly did not make an out the entire series, especially those games in L.A., Cody Bellinger, who of course was the hero in game three, and then AJ Pollock, who has been red hot the last couple nights. Uh, Will Smith came in and mowed them down. He got Chris Taylor and Cody Bellinger striking out on a, a fastball up in the zone. Uh, he was mixing his fastball and slider really well. And then I'm glad you mentioned in all of the euphoria on that final out getting AJ Pollock to ground out. Uh, Dansby Swanson made a tremendous pick. He was shifted a little bit. It was not his normal position. A tremendous pick, and then a perfect throw to Freddie across the diamond. It was a uh, it was as clean of a ninth inning as you can possibly have when you're up by two runs and three outs away from going to the World Series. I'm I'm right there with you, and you know, obviously, there's the all the emotions attached to. It. I mean, look. The Braves haven't been to the World Series since 1999. That that their their drought is old enough to drink, or it was. That's very nice to say. And so for me, like being kind of an older, like a bit older, I remember those World Series appearances very vividly, like growing up and like being able to experience that again is a big deal for me. So there was definitely some of that emotions. But the ninth inning, I was just still kind of in a haze and in awe of Eddie Rosario and Tyler Matzik. Eddie Rosario is out of his mind. Like, even that last out he made was like a missile to center field. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought he, I thought he had another one out. And Tyler Matzik, two innings of just mowing down the Dodgers. He made them look like little leaguers. It wasn't just a guy gritting it out and figuring it out. He just annihilated them. They're just yeah. – that, that, spot, that spot where the – with two on, second and third, no out. And he strikes out those three guys and makes them look small. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? I, 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 like, I was in a haze from that. I just, like, that's, I, I was worried up until then just because, I mean, Luke obviously did not look good in this game. Um, you know, the, the, the Dodgers seem to be, even when he's like throwing like pitches like six inches off the plate, they're still hitting him. And it, like, they seem to have a really good read on him. And that, that's just kind of how it goes, I guess, when you're yeah. running bad against the team. But, hmm. 
you know, I was just in awe. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Rosario is a very deserving MVP for the series. He got the trophy during the presentation. But, yeah, I mean, we would be silly not to talk about Tyler Matzik because that dude came in, and as you said, to set the scene, it was 4-1. to The Dodgers hit a double, a walk, and then you're right. They, I don't know how A.J. Pollock hit a double on that ball from Luke Jackson. I mean, the, the ball was like yeah, was, 8 inches. It was gross. It was and gross, yeah. it just perfectly hit the line. And as Brad said on his intro, it was like, you know, here we go again. Same old Braves. They're going to not be able to close this out. Just the inning before, five minutes ago, they had the bases loaded. They had a chance to blow it wide open, and they couldn't do it. And what does Tyler Matzik do? But he comes in, and he truly had to be perfect. There was no room for error. If, if he doesn't either strike out the side or, I don't know, get infield pop-ups, the Dodgers yep. are scoring at least one and probably both runs with no outs, right? And for him to come in and strike out the side on 11 pitches in probably the biggest spot for the Atlanta Braves this century, I don't think that's hyperbole, truly the biggest, no, most I don't important think so spot. Uh, man, I mean, you talk about a guy who just does not have a pulse, and regardless of where this story ends – we will remember and tell our kids about Tyler Matzik and his performance this October because he has been so damn good. Yeah, I'd really have to think about kind of like the 95 World Series run, a couple of those other World Series, like getting to the World Series in terms of reliever performances. But I don't think it's hyperbole that this is the most impressive. It's certainly in the conversation for the most impressive performance we've seen from a Braves reliever. Like, like not... Like, no qualifiers. I'd have to really think about it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just, it's yeah. just so long ago. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, what he did, I mean, he pitched in, like, all but one game. I think he only didn't He only didn't play in game five. Yeah. And, you know, you give that guy a couple of days of rest, all of a sudden he's throwing 98, 99, and he's mm-hmm. not hittable. And he wasn't – and he was still mowing through guys when he was playing every day. Yeah. Um, and though I do have a little bit of selfish a selfish reaction. Um, when you call your shot uh, – before game, before Bueller's first start, and say if he pitches less than five innings, then the Braves are going to win the series like I did. And you have as many people queuing up tweets ready to blame me for the Braves losing because I'm making that <laughs> prediction. And I and I know on, I have a good authority this was going to happen. <laughs> so uh, I, I was very heartened by that. Uh, didn't exactly uh, happen the way I thought it would. The Dodgers bullpen was incredibly good all series long, but the Braves did enough damage against the Dodgers starters to make that happen, and then everything got thrown out of whack with kind of because the the Braves are knocking guys around and, you know, Scherzer gets scratched before tonight's start, which is, I guess, where we should start this conversation. I started feeling pretty good going into this game when Bueller had to go in on short rest, only three days rest, to start this game because uh, Max Scherzer was scratched uh, with arm fatigue. Uh, definitely uh, a little bit surprising considering that I'm pretty sure that that means they had to like literally handcuff Max to the clubhouse somewhere to keep him from going out there. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was when it came down last night that that Scherzer wasn't going to pitch. I, I mean, it opened everyone's eyes, and it was interesting. Brad and I talked about this on the podcast uh, following Game Five. How I mean, it was really just surprising and, and almost shocking to hear the way that Scherzer was talking after Game Two, where he said. 
you know, he woke up with a dead arm and he just didn't have it. Um, and again, Max Scherzer at 70% is better than a whole lot of people at 100%. But the fact that he was scratched last night, 24 hours before the game, and then, you know, as you said, Walker Bueller on short rest. Uh, Bueller was fine tonight. I'm, I'm sure he will lay in bed tonight thinking about the one too many sliders he threw Eddie Rosario or maybe it was a cutter. Uh, because Bueller was really, he was okay. The Braves were hitting him decently hard, but up until the Rosario home run, he'd only given up the one run so far. Uh, and he has really had kind of settled in before that mini rally there. Um, man, what a, goodness, what a turn of events for the Dodgers. I'm sure they have a lot of moments that they're going to look back on and wish they could do differently. But to not have Scherzer available tonight, I was with you. Again, you can never be too confident in these playoff series because you just never know what's going to happen. And it takes a couple of bad bounces your way, and all of a sudden the game is over and you lose. Uh, but for Bueller to be put in that position and, and to not have Scherzer available in this spot was a blow to the Dodgers and, and obviously a huge break for the Braves. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's a break for the Braves. And, you know, just getting a guy on short rest in general, especially a guy that you they seemingly played against, played pretty well against. Uh, Bueller looked better in this start than he did in his last start. But, the you know, getting a guy on short rest, it makes you feel a little bit better. But, I mean, between the two of us, I was the pessimist in this series because I picked the Dodgers in six. And oh. it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily because of – and this was before all the series started and kind of how things broke down and what happened. But sure, um, it's – a situation where I wasn't the pitching staff that I was necessarily worried about. It was the Dodger offense, and that was kind of how it played out. Because if you're watching these games, you couldn't go for outs anywhere. You just couldn't, you know, except for you know once the once the pitcher was involved and like their pinch hitters weren't particularly great in this series. But it just every at bat, it just felt like something terrible could happen. It wasn't like, you know, like this is the guy that, you know, if he does anything, he'll hit a ground ball that gets through, right? It's like any of these guys can hit the ball 420 feet. And yeah. that, that's if it, you felt that in this game, each and every inning, you felt that throughout throughout the entire series. It's just like, hey, just keep going, just keep scoring runs because this team can just put five on you out of nowhere. Yeah, it's it's just such a deep lineup. And I think something that I noticed throughout the series um, – with the Dodgers is just how they work at bats and how they get deep in counts. And seemingly every at bat goes six, seven, eight pitches. And of course they're going to make outs more times than not, right? That's baseball. They're, they're human. They're not going to be perfect up there, but you're absolutely right. Even when they weren't putting up crooked numbers and frankly, other than game five, they really did not score all that often. I was just looking at the final scores game one, uh, they only scored two runs. The Braves win 3-2. Uh, game two, they only scored four runs, and the Braves won 5-4. to four. Uh, In game three, they only had two runs, and those were early runs, but they only had two runs up until the eighth inning rally. Uh, the Braves win game four, and guess what? Dodgers only scored two runs. They had their blow up in game five, uh, when, and really a lot of that was against the bottom couple relievers in the Braves bullpen. I think the freakout was a little over exaggerated on that one. And then tonight, the Dodgers again only score two runs. And it's a testament to how well the Braves pitched, especially the late bullpen. The starters did their job getting it to the relievers. Um, and it really was just an impressive showing from a Braves team that nobody was picking. I think I, I saw the 25 baseball writers for ESPN. I think 
Maybe one or two of them picked the Braves to win. Uh, they were underdogs in every single game in Las Vegas. Every game in Vegas, they were underdogs. Yep. And they go on to win it in six. Just a, a remarkable story. And I think it's, even if you weren't a Braves fan, I think it'd be really easy to get behind this team. Yeah, and we'll get kind of into the game specifically here in just a second. But one note I wanted to make here is the guys that we were worried about in this series. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of guys to worry about, but those top three guys in their lineup, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, and Trey Turner, the Braves did a remarkably good job against all three of those guys. You can't look, Corey yeah. Seager hits, you know, Corey Seager, you know, he'll, he, he's, he hit a couple first hitting home runs. He's like, it seems like he's just like, he's penciled in for those against the Braves. But beyond that, I mean, like, especially, all the left-handed arms, and like that's not just the relievers. Like Max is really good about this too. They seem to have a really good plan, particularly against Turner. And that was what's fascinating to me is like they brought like multiple people are like you're bringing in a lefty to face you know the top of the lineup. I mean, obviously that that that's good against Seager, but is that really good against Betts and Turner? But Betts has kind of like those slight reverse splits, and he didn't do anything against lefties in the series. And Turner yeah. was an interesting case because. He got a heavy dose of off-speed and breaking stuff down and in, and he couldn't do anything with it. I mean, he had a, there was a couple of good plays that were made. Austin Riley made a good play on a ground ball that he hit in this game, but beyond that, I mean, Trey Turner, like who is an, a legitimate MVP candidate in this in this in the league for this season, didn't like he was not a problem at all. Yeah. Which, considering his history against the Braves. Is good news <laughs> because he, yeah. he he had a history of uh, single-handedly beating up on the Braves when he was with the Nationals. But I guess we at this point we probably need to actually get and talk about this game <laughs> uh, because we've been going for a while now and we're just kind of still just in awe of what just happened. Uh, yeah. So the first... On that point, Eric, really quick. On that yeah. point, Mookie Betts ended the playoffs betting one seventy-four. Corey Seager one sixty-seven. Trey Turner two forty, and I believe other than that. Uh, he had a double and everything else was singles. And I, I don't know if he stole a base in the entire NLCS. Um, you're right. If you're going to beat the Dodgers, you have to keep those guys at the top of the order uh, under control. Because as we saw, Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, and the guys in the middle of their batting lineup were tremendous. But it's just such a difference when you aren't allowing those guys at the top to get on base. And the Braves did a great job. And it's definitely worth noting too, Max Muncy being out was a big deal for them. And, you know, I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to hear so much about how like the Dodgers were going in at 60% or whatever when the Braves had to just beat them in a six game, beat them in six games without Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, or Marcelo Zuna or Mike Soroka. And they had to do it all year long. So, but at the same time, like that, you know, that was a loss for them. And that certainly somehow made their, you know, their lineup was still so deep, but it actually could have been significantly worse for Mun with Muncie in there. Cause he was, he's a guy who had given the Braves fits in the past. But so Ian Anderson got the start in this game and, you know, he didn't look particularly good uh, in his last start against the Dodgers. Uh, really had to kind of gut it out and go as far as he did in that game, uh, especially after a really rough first inning. And, he gets a 15-pitch, 1-2-3 inning with a strikeout of Trey Turner with a ton of change-ups. What, what were your first impressions of kind of what Ian looked like early on in the game and like kind of what were your expectations for him going into the game? You know, I, was, I was nervous just because we know how, as we just talked about, how patient this Los Angeles lineup can be. And Ian was very good, especially early on. I think his command started to get away from him a little bit. 
the Dodgers started to be, they came out fairly aggressive against Ian, which I was surprised against. They thought they might come out and just kind of dare him to throw strikes, uh, but they were hacking away. Ian was very good in the first inning. Um, I, I believe it was a one, two, three with, again, anytime he's starting an inning out with Mookie, Seeger, and Turner, those are three grade A players that you have to get out. And uh, it was a big sign, I think, especially given those first inning yips that Ian has had at times. Uh, it was really a good sign for him to come out strong, uh, especially with Truist rocking the way it was. The crowd was into it all night. And I think because Ian started off so well, and of course they scored an early run, it helped keep things going in the right direction. Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, as good as this changeup was in the first inning, it was keeping it down and like it just had a bunch of movement. The bottom was dropping out of it and they were just getting a lot of ugly swings. I thought he was going to like locate that pitch better over the course of the game because he's generally really good. And once it gets past that first inning, he is better as the game goes on. But that's not exactly what happened in this game. He still, he still, he still made it work in this through four innings, but at the same time, like, I really thought that we could have gotten, he could have really put together even more innings than he did for the Dodgers. Now, unfortunately for two straight postseasons, you know, the Dodgers make adjustments mid-game and they get super patient and they figure out the pitches they want to sit on and, you know, his location kind of got away from him. But in the bottom half of the inning, the offense did pick him up, uh, two out double from Ozzy Albies, uh, after uh, a leadoff single from Rosario was erased immediately by a, a double play from Freddie Freeman, uh, 106 miles an hour is off the bat, uh, turning into a double play is pretty brutal, but Ozzy hits a double and then Austin Riley, who has had a largely a fairly quiet series other than, you know, basically the game one, which he won single-handedly, uh, ground rule double makes it a one, a one Oh lead. Adam Duvall, who had a brutal game, uh, hits a fly out to end it. But the Braves were hitting the ball hard against Bueller, and I thought the Bueller was going to be like in for a really short start, just as as hard as the contact was. The Braves weren't fooled by him at all. Were you surprised ultimately, based on what you saw in that first inning, how long Bueller ended up lasting in the game? Yeah, Bueller was better than I thought he was going to be because you're right. I mean, Rosario leads off with a single, uh, as you noted. Freddie smoked one; it was just right into the shift, and you know it is what it is. Um, but yeah, to, to get away with with Back-to-back doubles from Ozzie and Riley with two outs. That was one of the big themes tonight were two-out runs and two-out hits. Um, I believe all of the Braves' runs came with two outs. Um, I believe they had, uh, boy, was it eight hits with two outs tonight, nine hits with two outs. It was something like that. And, of course, they worked a couple of walks as well. Um, it was just, a it, again, a strong way to start a game. Emotions were high, and um, especially after you were deflated a little bit after the double play. Uh, to get an early run against Bueller uh, at the time, it looked like he might not even survive the second or third inning, and he settled in nicely. He is a very good pitcher. Even if he does not have everything working, he is still very, very tough to hit. Uh, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a good start and a way to, again, keep the crowd in it, in the game and, and keep things going in the right direction. Absolutely. And, you know, now the second inning goes by relatively without incident. Ian mowed through. Uh, Chris Taylor didn't want any part of Ian Anderson. He, I hate, it's clear that he just does not see Ian very well. He's played, Ian's played very well against him in the past. It certainly looked the part of this game. Uh, his changeup looked really good in that game. Uh, other than a two out single from, uh, Darno, the Braves, you know, there's a line out from Jock. Dansby struck out and then Ian Anderson versus Walker Bueller is the, the mismatch to end all mismatches. Uh, which kind of leads us to where things start like getting a little bit Harry and like really kind of exciting in a lot of ways. Um, 
a leadoff double for AJ Pollock. It just the, when those types of innings start and like it was this, it was really a hard contact and the it was a pitch that was fat in the zone. That's where I thought that maybe things could get away from Ian, but he ends up getting you know a you know get three straights out. He gets a line out, a strikeout, and bets, but he definitely didn't look as good. Were you starting to get a little worried that maybe like he wasn't quite, Ian wasn't quite right in the third, mm-hmm. or did you just kind of think it was just a little bit of bad luck or? I thought it was just a product of the Dodgers getting to see his stuff a little bit more, right? Like that changeup is so, so good. Uh, but at a certain point, you see it a few times, and you're, of course, talking with everyone in the dugout and picking things up. It did seem like L.A. was starting to uh, figure it out a little bit. It seemed like they were just sitting on that changeup and then adjusting. Um, as we know, it's a very important pitch to Ian. It wasn't like he was bad, and, of course, if this was a – regular season game in the middle of June, we wouldn't think anything of it. But, of course, everything gets amplified times a million in a game where you can go to the World Series with a win. Um, so, you know, I wasn't necessarily worried, but I think just as we know in these postseason games, you have to have a very short leash um, and, and keep an eye on a guy. And if something starts to go sideways, you have to be able to adjust quickly. And, uh, you know, thankfully – Ian was able to get out of the third and, and really never looked bad by any means. It was just, it, it's a tough lineup to pitch to. And as we just said, it's, these are such high stress innings and pitches. Anytime one little hit goes and all of a sudden it's natural to think, Oh boy, here we go. Uh, but yes, through the first couple innings, other than the one mistake to Pollock, I thought Ian was really good. Yeah, I tend to agree. I don't, he certainly didn't look as sharp. The fastball command wasn't quite there. Like it was just a little bit more off. Um, and the changeups were going just, he was, he wasn't, he wasn't locating them well low. There were certain, there was a few more that were just being a little more fat, uh, in the zone or at least a little more elevated than they need to be against a team that the, as, as good as this Dodgers team is. But it worked out. Um, bottom of the third, kind of a brutal inning. Ozzy strikes out and, but Austin gives them, you know, you know, singles with Freddie on base after he drew a walk. So it's two on and two out. We need to talk a little bit about Ab Duval because he was awful in this game. And he's had, other than like one game, he did not have a good NLCS. He did not. Uh, struck out three times in this game and like all three strikeouts, he didn't, he didn't look like a major league hitter in them. Are, are you worried at all? Considering he's like basically the, the only guy that can play like everyday center field, are you kind of worried about him going forward or do you think he's just kind of just a bad series for him? Yeah, he has not been very sharp in not only this series, but he did not have a great NLDS either against the Brewers. Now, we know that we know who Adam Duvall is. He is very much a uh, pretty close to a three true outcome guy. He's going to strike out, but he's also going to get on base uh, and he's going to hit a lot of home runs. But when he isn't hitting home runs, as he did all season long, uh, he's pretty limited up there. Um as you just noted, I think they have to almost by default continue to play Adam in center field. I don't think they want Jock Peterson out there. Uh, you, you probably don't want to start Guillermo Heredia as much as I love Guillermo. You probably don't want to start him in the World Series, especially in a center field in Houston that's pretty spacious. Um, yeah, I mean, you just hope that Adam's able to move on. I, it is worth noting uh, he avoided what could have been a really bad injury tonight. Um, that yep. there was that weird play. He almost hyperextended his knee. I mean, those are the ones where if you're not careful, you can tear a meniscus and all of a sudden you're done. Um, I'm glad that obviously he was not seriously hurt on that, but, 
Uh, yeah, he was, he was kind of a, a black hole in this series for the lineup. It's, I think again, because he's batting fifth most of the time, right behind Freddie and Albies and, and Riley, uh, he's in some big spots and you just have to hope he's able to pick up the pieces a little bit because he figures, uh, t- especially with the DH coming into play for at least games one and two, uh, against the Astros, he's going to be counted on and you just hope he's able to, to provide some power as he did during the regular season. Yeah, I, I certainly might entertain the idea of like maybe moving Jock ahead of him in the lineup. Uh, that was something that was tweeted out about a whole bunch in this game. Uh, and you know, that's just going to happen anytime a guy has a bad game. Like, you know, they, like there's just calls to bat him eighth. And that's not exactly what I'm calling for here, but maybe moving him down a little bit makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, just to go, that kind of continues the left, right, left, right thing. I'm sure the Braves have reasons as to why that they kind of like that particular arrangement since they really stuck with it quite a bit. Um, Throughout the playoffs, uh, I am a little bit interested, a little bit interested in an align, in a, an outfield configuration that, depending if it's like a tough, especially if it's a tough righty on the mound, maybe you put Jock in center and you put Solaire out there and maybe give Duvall a bit of a rest and use him as a pinch hitter. I, I'm not sure if that's a good idea because, again, center field is an important defensive position and I'm not sure if Jock's the guy I necessarily want manning out, manning that out there. But it's an interesting thought just because of how rough he's looked. And it's fortunately something they don't have to think about too much because, again, Houston has home field and you're dealing with the DH, uh, fortunately, so you can kind of get all the bats that you want and configure them however you want in the lineup. But it's something I'm kind of keeping my eye on yeah. just in terms of like what you know, a possible solution to that. But he definitely did not have a great – a great NLCS, uh, again, struck out three times in this game and in some pretty big spots too, which was pretty brutal. Uh, before we kind of get into the rest of this game, we've managed to already go uh, 30 minutes or so. So we're going to take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com. All right, Scott, I purposely chose that spot because the fourth inning is when things got very interesting in this game and a lot of ups and downs. And if you were following anything on Twitter or basically on any form of social media, there was a lot of um, a lot of emotions being expressed over the course of the top and bottom half of the inning. Uh, top half of the inning uh, goes uh, Corey Seager flies out. Trey Turner does draw a one-out walk. Uh, there was a missed call, a missed strike call in that at bat, but there was also another call in that bat, which was a little bit more favorable to say the least to Ian. So he does draw the walk. Uh, 
Ian was very, very fortunate that Will Smith only hit a single. He hung a curveball middle, middle against him. And when I, it's like, it was one of those, once I saw Will Smith taking the swing, like, it's one of those you wince. You know what I mean? Like, oh, no. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, yeah. <laughs> fortunately, it was just a single. Puts runners on first and second. Uh, Ian does battle Chris Taylor again. Uh, this is a little bit more of a battle, but he did strike him out. Uh, Cody, Cody Bellinger, who figured out how to play baseball pretty much at the worst possible time for the Braves, uh, does hit an RBI single, which ties the game. Uh, and for those who are upset about that, you know, he kept throwing change-ups to him. He threw a change-up that was probably two or three inches outside the zone, and Bellinger poked the ball through, uh, the opposite way to beat the shift. Um, I, I just want to make sure we kind of talk about this a little bit. How, 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 were you upset about that one in the sense that like, you know, if they Braves weren't shifting, that's a pretty routine ball. But it seems to me that I think people just don't understand how good the uh, shift is. You know what yeah, I mean? Like how, yeah. how good it is. A, I mean, it stinks when that happens, but at the same time, like pe- the people who complain about the shift are awfully quiet when it gets you outs that you don't deserve to get. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the shift, it's, you know, it's been said before. It's going to be said again. The shift giveth and the shift taketh away. And it's amazing how every time a ball gets hit into the shift, you, of course, don't remember it because you got the out and you're happy about it. But any time a ball goes against the shift, because, yes, if if they're playing straight-up defense, that ball is rolling right to Dansby Swanson at shortstop, and it's an easy toss over to first base, and the inning is over. Um, it was a good piece of hitting by Cody Bellinger, to be sure. Um, he could have swung for the downs and he kind of shortened up his swing and just kind of poked it right into a hole and good on him. Uh, it was a very Freddie Freeman like approach it for Bellinger there. Um, you know, it's any time you give up one of those soft hits against the, the shift, especially for a run there. I think there were two strikes as well. I mean, yeah, you roll your eyes and go, oh, come on. But again, thankfully, Ian was able to work out of it. Again, it was a good piece of hitting from, from Bellinger and it, it ultimately ended up being the only damage that would happen in the inning. Uh, it's, it's frustrating, right? I mean, sure. I wish Dansby was standing there too and, and no damage would have happened, but the shift is a funny thing. I think it's something that divides a lot of fans. And while the Braves' shifts really the last couple months have been very, very good. Anytime you should have been out of an inning and you aren't because of the shift, it's going to stick out in your memory. And it's also worth noting too, that a hitter like Bellinger, you want him to feel like he has to poke the ball on the ground the other way. Like this is the guy who yes. hits like yeah. he hits tanks. And the reason why you you play the shift is because he's gonna, it, most of the time, not all obviously, but most of the time he's going to try to hit the ball hard and he's trying to yank it. <laughs> and you want him trying to do what he did just there. You know what I mean? If he feels like he's that's the pitch you want him to swing at. Maybe he threw too many changeups in that at bat, but. We've kind of seen that Bellinger was like hitting fastballs well in the series. You take a chance on a change up out of the zone, and he pokes it the other way. You tip your hat to him. Nine times out of ten, he doesn't do that. He swings through it, or it's you know it it he's trying to pull it and it doesn't do anything. You want to neutralize these power hitters, and that's what you have to do in this situation. And one of the best ways to do that is with the shift, because a, a hard ground ball or even hard line drives, most of them are going to be pulled. And that those are going to get you outs. And if that if if a, a ground ball that gets through is the worst outcome in, a, in that at bat, then you just take it. Um, AJ Pollock does pop out to strand those a couple runners. So again, only the one run, but this is the tie game now. Uh, there were two quick outs in the the bottom half of the fourth inning, and then Travis Darno works a walk. Really good at bat out of him. Uh, who he has 
I wish we had the 2020 version of Travis Darno hitting at the bottom of the order, uh, but we definitely don't. He's been pretty pretty rough at the plate this year, but he draws a walk. Uh, and the Braves very adeptly, and I, I, props to Snicker here, he pulls at Ian Anderson and pinch hits for him. This final yep. line in the game, four innings, three hits, one earned run, one walk, four strikeouts. You take that from a young pitcher against a, a Dodgers team that, again, for two straight postseasons, just seems like it's impossible to go deep into the games against these guys just because they just get to throw so many pitches to them just to even, even to get them out. It's not just walks. <laughs> it's just like every, yeah. just like every, yeah. like every ground out was preceded by eight foul balls. You know what I mean? It's unreal what they're, those guys are really, really good at that. What did you think of Ahir Adrianza being the first bat off the bench in that particular situation? Yeah, so I'm glad you mentioned it because Brian Snitker deserves a ton of credit for making that decision. And that decision to pull Ian Anderson after only four innings, granted he had been hit around a little bit the last inning or two, but again, anytime you're pulling your starting pitcher in a not must-win game, but a must-win if you don't want to go to Game 7 game. Uh, it's a huge spot. If Snit would have sent Ian Anderson back up to the to the plate to bat with two outs, I don't think we would have been uh, going crazy because, again, you know Travis Darno is a slow runner at first. Um, Adrianza, who had a couple of moments earlier this year, no matter what the TBS broadcast might tell you in literally every game, uh, he has not been great over the last couple of months. And no, no, he is for, for Snit to make that call and for Adrianza to then hit one down the line, it was a tremendous play by Mookie Betts in the corner uh, to field that ball cleanly. It, it prevented Darno from scoring, um, which, of course, tees us up to one of the biggest swings in Atlanta Braves postseason history. Um, but again, I just wanted to give Snit the credit he, de- he deserves. I mean, he, he was very strong throughout this entire playoff, uh, journey so far. And that's a big decision to make in a huge moment. And he made the right one and pressed the right buttons. And, uh, and here we are. Yep. He, he absolutely he made the right calls. And, you know, Adrianza, look, the, the Braves bench, other than Jorge Soler, who we'll be talking about a little bit later in this podcast, isn't particularly great. Uh, they, you know, Snicker will not pinch hit William Contreras whatsoever. He is definitely afraid that something's going to happen to Darno in any given game, uh, and does not want him behind the plate, you know, in, in the playoffs, which, you know, for, you know, a rookie catcher in that situation, I, I kind of understand, but at the same time, you know, it does, you know, that's just a, a bench spot that you don't have. And Adrianza has not been good. He just hasn't, but a big time double. And, you know, there's a lot of people talking about if it was any other runner other than Darno that they would have scored, but Betts played that ball so well, and I have a lot of respect for that arm of his. I'm not so sure I'd be greenlighting a whole lot of, I mean, if it's Ozzy, sure. You know what I mean? Like you send Ozzy, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's so fast that you probably, you probably get away with it. But like, there's a lot of, there's not a lot of guys on this Braves team that I would be like super enthusiastic about, yeah. you know, sending based on, based on how well Betts played that mm-hmm. ball. Yeah. He's, he's a hell of a player. I mean, just he does everything. Again, the Braves did a great job keeping Mookie under control. Other than the go-ahead hit that he had in the eighth inning of game three, he really did not impact this game. And this time a year ago, uh, I think Corey Seager was the series MVP in the NLCS, but Mookie Betts was just tormented the Braves offensively and defensively. Um, and his impact really was not felt all that much. But you're right, his play in the, the corner there defensively, um, 
short of, you know, if Eddie Rosario doesn't hit a home run there, uh, I think we're probably talking about that play more just because of how good it was. Um, but of course it, he, uh, thankfully Adrianza was able to reach and keep the two out rally going. And then, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Eddie Rosario, uh, my goodness, what, what more can you say? Yeah, you've set the stage well there. You know, Eddie Rosario comes to the plate, and it's hard to have more confidence in a hitter right now than Eddie Rosario. Just every time he comes to the plate, good things happen. You know what I mean? It's just he is he's on another planet right now in terms of what he what he's doing. You know, he, he was he was the majority of the Braves' offense in this series, and that is not hyperbole at all. And in this game, there was there was no exception whatsoever. He works, you know, fouls off some pitches, you know, finds one that he can hit. The ball was inside too; it was kind of riding in on his hands a little bit, but he cranks it into the corner, home run. Again, you know, you mentioned it; one of the more important home runs in Braves postseason history. Um, it, that, that is fair to say, I think, at this point, just kind of what. How, especially how important that those three runs ended up being in this game. Uh, big three run homer. He sets the franchise record for the most hits in the postseason series. And what a way to do it is with a three run homer that gives the Braves a 4-1 lead. Um, Freddie walks and Ozzy strikes out after that. But I mean, what, what do we even say about Eddie Rosario right mm. now? He's just, he's just, I, I mean, what he's done is just, it, I just, I'm in awe. It's just, that's all I have to say about it. It's just, I'm in awe. Well, and the whole story behind the Braves getting Rosario is incredible. I mean, he was hurt when the Braves traded for him at the end of July. They, Alex Anthopoulos went out and traded for someone who he knew was going to miss at least, what, 40% of the, of the eligible games in the regular season? Yep. Um, I mean, this was not, uh, Brad and I talked the other night. It's not like at the trade deadline. Anthopolis emptied out the entire farm system to go get three proven all-stars, right? Like he didn't unload to get a Trey Turner, a Max Scherzer, and a Joey Gallo. Uh, you know, as we've talked, he was able to get these deals done without giving up anything of note, especially the Rosario trade. Uh, he gave up Pablo Sandoval, who was very likely getting released anyway. Uh, they pick up Rosario for you know, a portion of his remaining salary, which is probably the best money the Braves have spent in, I don't know, 25 years. Um, I mean, right, right now it feels that way, yeah. It really does, and who knows where, again, who knows where this this journey is going to end. But, yes, just a massive swing for Rosario. Uh, when he hit it, I didn't think he got it. I thought it was going to bounce off the wall or, heck, maybe even curl yeah, just in, in front of the foul pole. Um, I mean, it wasn't launched. It's funny. Uh, people noted that uh, in the, I believe it was the eighth inning, Rosario hit that deep flyout to Bellinger that was a rocket. He hit that ball 25 feet farther than the ball that went over the fence in right field. Uh, again, <laughs> baseball is a, a dumb game. <laughs> it is. It's a cruel game. It's funny how that works out. It's very fitting, very on brand. Um, but yes, when he hit it live, I didn't think it was getting over the fence. I thought maybe it would bounce off the bricks and it, at minimum you had two guys on. So you were going to at least get two runs there, which was going to be big. Um, but yeah, man, playoff Eddie, what a story and what a run it's been. Uh, and <laughs> again, it's just, it seems like every time he's, I mean, he almost hits for the cycle the other night and then he has this game where he just, 
is poor. Like the Dodgers are like genuinely terrified of him. Like the the at bats he has this what whatever nibbling they tried to do, he was just having none of. Just fouling him off, fouling off. Even his outs were loud. It just Eddie Rosario, you know Babe Ruth incarnate. I'm I'm just saying it here now. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that gives the Braves a four-one lead going into the fifth inning. Uh, in comes AJ Minter, who you know has pitched very well in the playoffs. Uh, he had a lot of them made of kind of his playoff performance as well. Uh, overshadowed a little bit by Tyler Matzik and kind of what he's been able to do. But Matt uh, Minter comes in. The Dodgers um, pinch hit for Matt Beatty uh, with Albert Pujols. Uh, not quite the ghost of Albert Pujols. Uh, not, I want to go that far because he looked a little better later on in the hmm. series. Uh, he, was, he was getting a few hits here and there. Um, and then Minter probably struck him out. And then... He strikes out bets to end the inning, you know, after, you know, sandwiching a ground out in there. Looks really, really good. Just, it was a clean inning, no problems. Uh, which brings us to the bottom half of the inning, uh, where Bruzdar Gratterall comes in. Huh. That guy's uh, a I am, joke. I, yeah, I'm, I am <laughs> so glad the Braves don't have to go against yeah. him anymore. Can, can we borrow him for the World Series? Like, could the, could the Dodgers just loan him for the next two weeks? Because, I mean, holy smokes, that guy's insane. He throws 101 and he spots it. Like, it's like, like on the corner. What do you do against that? You know what I mean? There are people yeah, like you, talking about, people are yeah, talking you about. You strike like, out is what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of people do. Um, like, uh, and this is more in the sixth inning, but in the, in Camargo's spot, a lot of people were saying, why don't they do, why don't they put Jorge Soler in that spot? Which, I mean, I, I understand what the argument is because Jorge Soler is obviously a better hitter than Johan Camargo. But I'm not so sure if the first live pitching that you want to see a guy from like who hasn't played in 11 days is 101 and like located incredibly well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he pitched yeah. he pitched two innings and like the Braves didn't come close to doing anything against Gretterall <laughs> at all. Yeah. Like he 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 is nuts. Uh, I I saw he has like a three something ERA from the season. I want to see the tape of like how guys score runs off that guy because. I have a lot of risk. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, again, he's a younger pitcher, so maybe, you know, was walk, maybe he was walking guys earlier on in the season or, you yeah. know, maybe some guys just like ran into one of those fastballs, but goodness gracious. When Jock yeah. got hit by the pitch, I was genuinely scared for him. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a, a concerning hit by pitch. I think it's probably how I would describe it. Yeah, he is. I mean, welcome to, I mean, he is, of course, an outlier, but baseball in 2021, as you said, he just, and he doesn't even look like he's throwing hard. Yeah. Like he just wakes like he, up and throws 101. But yeah. anyway. It looks like he can throw 110 <laughs> if he's reaching back for it. It's like, like it's wild. It's like, it's easy effort, man. It's wild. Uh, fortunately, the Jock, the, uh, the only way space burner he gave up, uh, was, uh, Jock getting hit by a pitch in this inning. Um, and again, that was on a slider. So, you know, Jock is still alive, but, um, <laughs> uh, and, you know, Hard line out for Dansby. He actually put a good swing on a 101-mile-an-hour fastball, which, again, I'd be running away from the other direction if I saw that anywhere near me. But quick inning for the Braves. Uh, Minter stays in the game for the sixth. Again, like, I just was really impressed with what Snicker was doing in this game. He just It felt like there was a plan in place, and they knew what they wanted to do, and they liked what Minter does and the action of his pitches against the Dodgers in, in very specific places. And the sixth inning was a really important place for this, right? Because yeah. he strikes out Seager in a, in a big hit bat. Uh, Austin makes a great play on a ground ball from Trey Turner, and he strikes out Will Smith, and it's easy. And I think that they 
they, I think the Braves keyed in on what Minter could do against the, like the top six guys, top five or six guys. And like, this is the plan is that when we need him, that he's the guy that's going to throw it to him because the action on his, on that cutter of his and his fastball, the how he can get it down and into like these righties and what it does against these lefties, like they just didn't have anything for him. And they sent him out there to get three more outs, putting a lot of faith in him. I, I was a big fan of that decision. And in the moment when you saw Mentor staying in the game, were you good with it? Yeah. No, I thought he was uh, clearly the best option. I think it's pretty, uh, you know, the Braves game plan is this. Starting pitcher goes as long as they humanly can, and you hope they can at least cover the first five innings. And then they clearly and should trust A.J. Minter, who was nails in this series. He was tremendous tonight covering those two innings. And then you have Matzik and Luke Jackson, who we'll talk about here in a minute. And then Will Smith, who has been good in the playoffs here. Um, clearly, that's that's their plan and strategy. And, yes, A.J. Minter came up huge covering two innings, uh, you know, again, I guess Jesse Chavez was probably the next man up in the bullpen. Jesse's that okay. Terri- that's I terrifying against the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's, uh, somebody you necessarily want to bring in when you're 12 outs away from the, your first World Series in 22 years. But, um, yeah, Minter was fantastic. He was fired up. He was, he was locating. He was mixing his pitches. He had full command of everything. Uh, we know he's, for a team that's had some really good comeback stories, uh, it's easy to forget that Minter spent almost two months in Gwinnett over the summer. He just did not have it early on this year. And he came back in the middle of August, and they, they slowly brought him back along. And by the end of the year, he was throwing some important innings. And, of course, tonight he throws two huge innings for the team. Uh, and it sure does feel like he's going to be a very important part of this bullpen mix over the next two weeks in the in the series going forward. Oh, it's nice to hear that talking about the World Series in the next two weeks. That's to be sure. Um, and hat, you know, hat tip, hat tip to Gwinnett pitching coach Mike Moroth, who uh, works miracles down there. To be safe, he really does. He, yeah. he uh, I really, really like Mike Moroth. Uh, I would like to see him on the major league coaching staff in some form or fashion because I think he would do a great job there. Uh, in, in whatever fa- fashion he would, he would be an asset to the major league club and. Really, he already has been because it seems like, you know, whoever goes down there to be fixed and just needs one or two things fixed, he's the guy to do it. So hat tip to Mike Moroth. Um, the bottom of the inning was very interesting because uh, Gratterall strikes out Travis Darno. Darno didn't have any hope in that at bat. Uh, Camargo flies out. Now, this is where the Eddie Rosario effect kind of comes in, right? Because the Dodgers, even though Gratterall's throwing 101 and no one can touch him, they don't want him against Eddie. So they bring in Vezia, who's been very good. He has been. He's been really a really tough lefty. And he proceeds to walk Rosario, Freddie, and Ozzy. And walking Ozzy with his approach in this series is a feat in and of itself. And he walks all three of those guys to load the bases for Austin Riley with two out. I, I feel like this is this is a really like I've it, it felt like the Braves could really do something here. Yeah. You know, it felt like, you know, getting those extra runs, like this was going to be their opportunity to do it. And, you know, Vezia clearly didn't have it. He just couldn't throw strikes. Uh, but the Dodgers were smart. Um, this is why you use your best relievers in really important situations. Uh, they bring in, they bring in Blake Trainin. And Austin Riley strikes out. There's a lot of uproar. And I want to kind of get your thoughts on this. There's a lot of uproar on the pitch that Austin was struck out on. Uh, cause it was a really close pitch. Uh, it looks like, you know, just based on like the zone from, you know, game day and all that, that it kind of looks like it barely clipped the strike zone for strike three. 
what were your kind of thoughts on that at bat and kind of how that inning unfolded? Um, and ultimately, did you think that was a strike? Mm. You know, in the moment, I was, uh, we all, when you're watching sports, you, there are always moments where if it doesn't go your way, you're worried that it's a moment that you're going to look back on and go, they had a chance to shut this thing out once and for all, and they missed it. And thank goodness they went on to close out this game tonight and, and leaving the bases loaded uh, after, as you just noted, three walks in a row with two outs. I think I tweeted the word kill, and they needed to go for the kill there. It was you know, it was a tough pitch to Austin. Uh, the home plate umpire tonight was not the best. I think that was a theme throughout the series. Um, it was a well, close definitely pitch. In- Inconsistent, I think, is a fair yeah, way. Yeah, I think so, too. One inning, the zone would be big. Next inning, it would be small. And again, we're, of course, going to remember the calls that go against the Braves. I can guarantee you there were a pitch or two or three that was off the zone that the Braves had go their way tonight, yep. et cetera, et cetera. But, um, yeah, in the moment, it really felt like it was going to hurt. And then when you flash forward to the following top half of the seventh, and we know how that went, it really started to feel like, oh, my God, they had a chance to end this, and they missed their shot. Yeah, this – this there's definitely some deja vu in this inning. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> the game got a lot more interesting than really it should have been. Um, and, again, I've talked about this a bit. I, I think that Luke Jackson, like he – like this, this Dodgers team is a really good, like, bad ball hitting team. Like they hit pitches, like again, that Cody Bellinger home run. I'll defend that pitch to the death. Uh, but you know what I mean? Uh, in the game, in the, in the come from behind game, uh, that the Dodgers ended up winning. And, you know, in Luke Jackson's defense, like I don't even think like the, the pitch that Pollock hits for a double. And for those who aren't aware, uh, Luke Jackson gives up a double and a walk to start the inning to Chris Taylor and Cody Bellinger respectively. Uh, and then AJ Pollock doubles on a ball that, you know, again, he, I, I don't know how that, and I'm with you on that. I don't know how that turns into a double. Like he barely got that out of the infield. And, but, uh, but that makes it a 4-2 lead with two runners in scoring position. Two with none out. Now, this sets the stage here. It, it was just fair. Like even thinking about it tilts me, but this sets the stage for Tyler Matzik to enter the game. I felt so bad. And I kind of teased this above. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I felt so bad for Luke because, I mean, he was in, like, visible agony on the bench after the way this inning started. Um, I mean, his hands were in his face, and he, he just looked terrible. And, man, Tyler Matzik, this dude is unconscious. The Braves aren't even close to making the World Series this year without him. Um to come in there in that we talked about it earlier in the podcast, but for him to come in in a situation where he truly had to be perfect if he wanted to keep the Braves ahead. Um, if he gives up a hit, the game's tied. Even if he gives up, even if he gets two outs on sacrifice flies, the game is probably tied. I mean, there was, there was zero margin for error. It was four, two at this point, two on in scoring position and no one out and Matzik comes in and strikes out the side on 11 pitches. Oh, my goodness, man. What else can you say? You, you, <laughs> Tyler Matzik should never buy himself a drink again in the Atlanta area because that dude 
is just incredible. He was terrific against the Brewers, too. I think he came in in one of those games in the NLDS with the bases loaded and got two outs to get out of the jam. Um, for a guy who was out of the major leagues four years ago, for him to be pitching in this spot, it's just a – I mean, really, it's something like a Disney movie and uh, just a, a tremendous job by Tyler tonight. So I have two questions for you before we kind of get to an important part of this game, and it's kind of a low-key important part of this game. First, you, you, assuming you know all of the following information, all the stuff that happened to Luke, two on, no out, and you know that Matzik is coming in, what is your guess as to what the score, like your blind guess, what was your guess that what huh. the score was going to be at the end of the inning? Oh, man. I mean – it felt like we were just setting up for a another heartbreaking little bloop and a you know a little dunk or something like that across the infield and uh, or something against the shift and it was going to be tied. I mean, I was in a bad place in the in the top of the seventh, as I think a lot of Braves fans were. See, I thought this was it was said. It felt it just felt like that they were going to take the lead and it was going to be Mookie. Like, Mookie was finally going to do something. You know what I mean? It just was lining up too perfectly for, like, that. Yeah. Like, like, mm -hmm. like the, 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 the sleeping giant awakes in the worst possible spot, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. My second question. Can you recall an inning, starter or reliever, pitched by a Brave that impressed you more mm -hmm. the entire time you've been watching the Braves? Wow. Um, I, given the I circumstance, yeah, I mean, boy, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit younger, so I, I don't vividly remember the nineties as well as folks who were a little bit older would. So I, you know, I can't speak to some of those playoff runs, but for at least the last 20 years, I'm, that's a great question. And I don't think I can recall a, in a bigger situation in a bigger spot, um, Three straight strike counts there. I mean, that, that is the stuff of legend. So no, to answer your question, yep. I think, I think it's the most impressive pitching I've seen. I, I don't know in my, in my lifetime. Is that crazy to say? Or at least my, my lifetime of being able to recognize things in the moment? Uh, probably. It, it, it was wild. I mean, and like, I'm not going to speak like league wide because like, you know, again, we'll keep this brave centric and more importantly, that's a lot oh, more information course. you kind of take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like Matt, Madison Bumgarner kind of put together some, I mean, his weren't so much innings so much as like, like yes. pitching like multiple, like three games and seven game series and stuff like that. You know, like there's yeah. a lot of stuff, well, crazy stuff has happened, but in Braves history, particularly recent Braves history, I yeah. can't think of one. I cannot think of a single one. I can't. Um, now this is, I think, Truly, I think this is where the game was won, right? So uh, Corey Nabel comes in. Uh, he's been ridiculous against the Braves. Uh, strikes out Duvall for the third time in the game. Again, really bad game for Adam Duvall. Jock flies out. Just just missed like a, a hung curveball. And he, you can tell he really thought that that should have been parked in the seats, right? Yeah, yeah. And Dansby singles, which brings up Darno. Now, if Darno. Doesn't make an out. <laughs> I know Jorge where you're going. Yeah, Jorge, I know where you're going. Jorge Soler was on deck to bat for Tyler Matzik. Uh. To see an entire fan base rooting for Travis Darno to keep that bat on his shoulders at all costs. 
was hysterically funny to me. And yep. honestly, it felt right. I'm like, look, take a dive. <laughs> you know, do not let yeah. that pitcher spot come up. Uh, yeah. He did strike out uh, again. Nabel, that part of that's just Nabel's good, but uh, and I mean, Darno certainly didn't mail that one in. But uh, so instead of having to pinch hit for Tyler Matzik and possibly having to see Jesse Chavez for the eighth inning, which against Trey Turner and Will Smith, as well as Corey Seager, is a terrifying proposition hmm. for me. Uh, Here, you know, here's here's a question for you, Eric, and I I would be fascinated to know what everyone thinks of this. Jorge Soler was on the on deck circle, but as we all know, just because you're on the on deck circle does not mean that you're coming up to pinch hit. Would they have really pulled Matzik for Soler? And let's say Darno walks or he singles and it's first and second with two outs. You're up four to two. You have six outs to get. But Brian Snitker knows that Jesse Chavez is his only bridge to Will Smith. I mean, who else is it at that point? Chavez, Chris Martin, Jacob Webb. I mean, Dylan Lee. You, boy, do you let's let's play the hypothetical because we know how this one played out. Would they have really pulled Matzik in that spot if Darno walks or singles or something like that? I think they do. I really think they do. Because with a runner in scoring position, I think that they, that Snitger would have would value getting those runs more than putting Matzik back out there. He, I think he has probably an undue amount of confidence in a guy like Jesse Chavez, for example. And I, I think that Soler would be hitting in that situation. Now, in yeah. now in this hypothetical, right? Then you have Jorge Soler hitting, which. Good things can happen, right? So like, sure, I don't want to like, sure. I don't want to say like that loses you the game or anything, but at the same time, like, I think that the, like the way things went and being able to keep Matzikin for the eighth inning hmm. really just, it put, it, it put this game away because Matzik comes in top of the eighth and everyone's stoked. Uh, Truist goes nuts when Matzik comes back out to throw another inning, which. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which which they absolutely should. Uh, uh, the King of Atlanta. I'm pretty sure that Luke Jackson is going to basically be paying for his food for the rest of his life. Um, <laughs> Luke uh, gave. Uh, I don't know if you caught it on replay or during the game. Luke gave Matzik the biggest hug whenever he came into, saw into the dugout I, after getting those three outs. Because again, I mean, Luke was in like legitimate agony, not like ah, oh, dang it, I messed up. Like he looked like he was about to break down on the bench because. I'm sure he felt terrible after game three and what happens, but he comes in and within 10 pitches, he's allowed to run and the stadium is suddenly silent and it looks like it's going to be the same old Braves. Uh, yeah. I mean, what a moment for Matzik to come back out. Everyone in unison was rooting for Darno to make an out. So we didn't have to have that, that hypothetical. What would you do? Yeah. And um, to say that it paid off, is a bit of an understatement. Uh, Matt comes in, takes the mound, and he, you know, with a, any reliever, you know, that second inning, you're like, never know. He might not be as good as this time. He was every bit as good in that inning as he was in the seventh. He didn't strike out everybody, but he struck out Corey Seager on three pitches, which is no small task. Trey Turner immediately grounds out first pitch again. Uh, he was hunting first pitches because he didn't want to be getting in those deep counts against those breaking balls down and in again because he wasn't doing anything against them. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And then Will Smith, two pitches later, grounds out. And just like that, the eighth inning's over, and the Braves were three 
outs away uh, from that World Series clinch. And I, I, I started feeling good. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, it felt like the, the, the part that they should have lost the game had happened. <laughs> and they, they didn't. And it felt too good. So uh, now, Jorge Soler pinch hits for Matzik. Uh You know, part of me was a little bit, you know, hurt that, you know, Matzik couldn't go for the full three out, the full three innings. But uh, pinch hits for Matzik against Kenley. Uh, and leaves the inning off on the double. And a really good at bat, too. Fouled off a bunch of pitches. Yeah. Looked, he looked, looked good really good. Yep. 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 Love to see, love to see Solaire, uh, looking good after a long layoff, uh, after having COVID. And then, and Rosario hits a missile to center field, uh, which moves Heredia, who pinched, who pinched runs for Jorge Solaire. So you have one out with a runner on third, and Ozzy has an Absolutely dreadful at bat. Yeah. Three pitch strikeout. Not one of those pitches was a strike. Not yeah. one. Absolutely brutal. Uh, Ozzy, do you have any concerns about Ozzy or particularly like where they're hitting him in the order? I, I actually didn't want to um, that. No, I mean, he, he has always been a streaky hitter. He's kind of like Dansby in that sense, although he has not been quite as extreme with his highs and lows. Um, I think, you know, he is an aggressive hitter by nature and I think in big moments, whenever you're uber aggressive and it works against you, it sticks out a little bit more. Um, you're right. He was going to do, I mean, he's facing Kenley Jansen, who has just an absurd cutter. It's really hard to hit. Um, it was not a good moment for Ozzy, but no, I mean, am I concerned with him? No, I sure. I would have, I wish he would have at least, I mean, at the very least, I wish he would have hit a fly ball so they could have added a much needed insurance run there. At the time, it's only a two-run lead. Um, that was another one of those moments where you didn't want to have to look back on and go, oh, my gosh, they had this chance and they didn't capitalize. Um, but, yes, it was it was a rough at bat for Ozzy. I'm sure his heart was going a million miles an hour just with the crowd going crazy. Um, but Kenley pitched him tough. And, and then, you know, again, he'd bring up Austin Riley. And uh, it didn't work out with Austin either. But, again, you, you did have that two-run lead built in and, that was when everyone really just started to close their eyes and say a little prayer that the, the bottom of the ninth was going to be okay. Yeah, you set the stage well because to save the Braves' season, to close out their first World Series appearance since 1999, Brad's favorite player on the roster, Will Smith, takes them out. Uh, that man. What What was your confidence level oh. going into the ninth inning? You know, <laughs> I it felt inevitable. Chris Taylor, Cody Bellinger, AJ Pollock, probably the three best players the Dodgers had in this series, naturally were going to be coming up in the ninth. Um, two of them are right-handed, who uh, this year, especially Smith, was really quite good against lefties, but bad against righties. Um, but I felt I felt okay. What I was telling myself is, don't walk anybody. And he did get to three balls on the first two batters on to Taylor and Bellinger. Um, but I was, I was doing okay. I was doing as well as you can possibly do when your heart is just absolutely pounding and you're three outs away from a World Series. Yeah, I'll say I was nervous, uh, because Will Smith has given us cause for being nervous, uh, a lot. Um, but at the same time, and again, there's no, there's no, like, statistical justification for this. I felt like if they were going to lose the game, it was going to be in the seventh. I thought that's just when it was going to happen. And since it didn't happen, I just, it was a weird feeling. 
it was a, I'm like, you know what? I think it's going to be okay. I think it's actually going to happen. And then he struck out Chris Taylor. Feel a lot better because that's the guy who, you know, is particularly concerning uh, against Will. Um, Bellinger strikes out. And then AJ Pollock smokes a ground ball. Dansby picks and spins, throws a perfect, perfect throw to Freddie. Freddie's arms go up. They charge the mound. And the Braves are World Series bound. I'm, yeah. I, 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 it's funny. And I told Scott and Brad this while we were kind of getting ready to record this that I, I needed like 15 or 20 minutes because oh, yeah. I, I was fine until Freddie caught the ball. I would, I truly was. Like I, I was excited. Obviously, it was a really exciting time. As soon as he caught that ball, like I was very emotional. <laughs> very yeah. like it was. It's so hard to describe. And like, I mean, you've you've been covering the Braves longer than me, and you know I've been. I'm not exactly you know new to the game to say the least. And like we finally get to do this. Like uh. we finally get to cover the Braves. We get to see the Braves in the World Series as fans, as people who cover the team. It's. Yeah. It's hard to even like talk about, you know. Yeah, no, it. Uh, you know, I found I had a tear in my eye as they all dogpiled on the mound. Um, we have seen some you know, as Braves fans, uh, depending on your age, you have seen some really good baseball and some really bad baseball. And as we said, kind of off the top, uh, this was a team that about five six years ago underwent a brutal rebuild, and there were some really bad days. Uh, you know, I, I know you and Eric, you of course have been, uh, you do such a good job covering the minor leagues and, you know, let's be real for a couple of years, the focus for this organization was on the minor league box scores every night because there wasn't yep. a whole lot of good happening with the Atlanta Braves. But as we got to see the likes of Ozzy Albies and Dansby Swanson, Ronald Acuna, uh, Mike Soroka, Ian Anderson, Max Freed, all of these young guys who have been a part of this rebuild, um, all while someone like Freddie Freeman has been the one constant in the lineup. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's so rewarding when you stick with a team and the good and the bad. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just kind of little kids cheering for a bunch of, uh, you know, baseball players playing a game. But man, what a, what a tremendous way to go and to beat the Dodgers. It just felt right. Um, it's been kind of a storybook these last couple weeks. Last year's losing 3-1 in a mostly empty stadium in the middle of Texas as COVID raged on. It was just such a, a weird and deflating situation. But to be able to do it at home in front of 40-plus thousand people, um, what a moment. It was fitting that Freddie Freeman caught the final out, too. Um, just, as I said, it brought a tear to my eye sitting and watching the game. And I imagine a lot of people out there. Uh, it was a long time coming and, and thank goodness they closed this thing out. And, uh, you know, now it's, it's, you have a couple days to recover both mentally and physically. And then you're right back at it because you have a really good Astros team awaiting you. They absolutely do. Uh, it does line up. Uh, and as far as we can tell, the, obviously the Braves will be taking on the Houston Astros in the World Series. Houston will have home field advantage. Based on everything we're looking at right now, it lines up perfectly for Charlie Morton to be your Game 1 World Series starter. Uh, that's certainly going to be a storyline in, in and of itself with Charlie taking the mound against the Astros. We're going to have a lot to talk about here. In the uh, We're starting tomorrow. 
Uh, tomorrow we are going to be doing our World Series podcast unless that those plans change uh, based on what's going on with Brad. But we are going to be doing a preview podcast. As far as I'm aware, all three of us will be on that podcast, so we'll be able to really dig into the that matchup, what we what we like, what we don't like, getting into our predictions where we're very likely to be wrong about a lot of them. But I want to just take a moment to thank all of our readers, not just this year but in past years. Uh, Scott said it. <laughs> a lot <laughs> more kindly than I would. The, there were some years that were really tough to cover this team, uh, particularly at the major league level. I started at Talking Chop in 2015, uh, <laughs> the year that Mike Soroka was drafted, um, and you know, see kind of that class of players, Acuna and Ozzy. Like you guys, caught watching and following along and being as invested as you've been throughout the rebuild, all the way to this team finally making it back to the World Series. That's what's made this possible, not only just possible, because we would not be able to build the staff that we've had without you guys. And that continued just growing of the community that we have at Talking Shop, not only on the podcast, but on the site and just everywhere. It, it, in, and Scott can attest to this. Early on in those years, you know, our masthead was probably a third of the size that it is now. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it, we had to really scrape by to kind of get things covered. You know, all of us are working day jobs. You know what I mean? And you know, for for the first year that we did minor league recaps, where we posted minor league recaps every day, that was just Garrett and I. Yeah. And that's a lot of work. And then, and, and Chris, I, I'm probably happiest for Chris. Our, our fearless leader, Chris Willis, he has had to put up with a lot just to make the site run as well as he does. Uh, from just all the nuts and bolts stuff to planning to getting everyone to do what they're supposed to do to kind of having a grand vision for what he thinks the site can be. He's said since day one that I started that he thought that this site could be one of the biggest sites on the network. And they, we are. It, there's no other way to say that. And it, I, I, it would not have happened without him and that he gets to be a part of covering the team as a full-time employee to Finally, finally got that for him. Really well deserved. And, you know, when I'm thinking about it, you know, I'm happy for all Braves fans. But if I'm thinking of one Braves fan who has sacrificed a ton Mm. to bring coverage for us, all of us, it's Chris. So shouts to Chris Willis. Yeah. No, uh, you nailed it, Eric. And a big thank you to everyone. This is a fan base that deserves this. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of celebrating going. Most of them. Most of them. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever, uh, wherever you may be tonight, I'm sure there's, um, a lot of celebrating and, and very well deserved. And as, as we know, you know, being a fan of a team, you live with the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, for the diehards out there, moments like this are special. And as a fan, you have to cherish it and enjoy these moments. And here's hoping the Braves have four more wins left in them. I'll be honest this time in what the middle of July. Uh, there was a very dark time for this team. Uh, Ronald Acuna blows out his knee. Ian Anderson, 24 hours later, hits the injured list with shoulder problems. They're below 500. There's seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel. It looked like this was just going to be one of those years where nothing went right, and nobody would have blamed the team if they packed it in and just played out those final two and a half months and and then shifted gears to the offseason. Um it, it's been a wild ride, especially since those first couple weeks in August. And, hey, isn't it nice? We always hear the stories or watch the stories of teams that just get hot at the right time. Well, folks, that, that team this year is the Atlanta Braves. And 
everything in the regular season can go out the window. It's This is a different team from the one that we watched so many nights, especially early on in the year. Um, and here they are, first World Series in 22 years. They're going to face a talented Astros team, but I, I truly believe the Braves have a chance to win this one. Um, and, and we, you know, we, we sincerely appreciate all of your support listening to the podcast and, and reading the site, um, interacting with us on, on Twitter and social media. Um, it, it all makes it worth it and it makes these moments even more enjoyable for us as, as people who cover the team and are in our fans first and foremost. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, make sure you follow Scott on Twitter at ScottColeman55. Uh, you'll get plenty of Tiger Woods gifts as well as a lot of analysis about baseball as well as uh, basically lamenting his other sports team choices. Uh, you can follow Brad. Uh, <laughs> you can follow, the Braves, you can follow, yeah, the Braves are my golden beacon right now. I need them to, I need them to keep this going right now. Yeah, lifelong uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, right? <laughs> love, yeah, your, exactly. love your Bucks. Love your Bucks. Yeah, exactly. Uh, make sure. Uh, make sure you follow Brad over at on Twitter at BT Roland. Uh, this is the part of the show where usually I troll uh, the, the audience and troll Brad specifically by getting them to tweet uh, some sort of troll at Brad. Uh, but this is a special night and a special occasion. So what I ask is that you type in at BT Roland and say thank you to him. Because I mean, if there is a guy that works harder than Chris in this in this industry, it's Brad, and he is tireless. In getting podcasts out and making sure that we get shows up for you constantly. He's having to constantly round either Scott or I up and we are, can be notoriously difficult to pin down at times. Uh, we like to escape and cause trouble. Uh, but Brad's amazing. And you know, on a night like this where he, you know, he wishes he could have stayed for the entire show. Uh, it's just again, a, a good time, I think, to, you know, remember kind of who helped kind of carry us here. And Brad's been an absolutely gigantic part of, you know, getting a, growing the podcast to what it is now. Uh, one of the top bo- po- baseball podcasts, period, out there right now, uh, particularly during this playoff run. So, you know, if you're, it, you know, obviously feel free to troll Brad because, you know, I'm never going to not, dis- never going to discourage you from doing that. But uh, sending a kind thank you to him, I think, would go a long way. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you want to make sure you don't miss a single episode of our upcoming World Series podcast episodes, starting with our preview. And, of course, we'll be recapping every game. Scott and myself will play a big part in that coverage. I'm sure that Brad's going to be on most, if not all, of those calls. Uh, Sean Coleman may be helping out as well. He's been doing a great job with the Daily Hammer. And if you don't want to miss a single episode of that uh, that podcast, as well as the Road to Atlanta podcast, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system, hosted by yours truly, as well as the, the members of the minor league side of the squad. You get three podcasts. The Hammer, which is the daily podcast. It's like 15, 20 minutes. That's kind of get you caught up on the Braves really quick at the start of your day. This this show, which is our flagship show, the Talking Chop podcast, as well as Road to Atlanta. Just make sure you search for Talking Chop, and you can find it on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, where there are podcasts being purveyed you'll be able to find the Talking Shop podcast on there. So Yeah, that's right. All for the price of zero dollars. Zero dollars. <laughs> absolutely. We appreciate you guys so, so much. This is a really exciting time for us. I know it's an exciting time for all of you. And for that, we have some work to do, Scott, and we have to get ready to start uh, thinking ahead about the Houston Astros and the 2021 World Series. We're looking forward to chatting with you guys down the road. Thank you so much.